0: I love it. Ho ho ho. Hebrews 2020, 20, increment 81. The question, do you perceive injustice? Let's put it in the plural. Do you perceive injustices? Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly so do this entrust yourselves to him who judges justly first Peter 221 are you frustrated then seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness let the one who judges justly plead your cause and your case against injustices that you perceive, whether against yourself, your community, your nation. As the psalmist prayed in Psalm one nineteen one fifty four. plead my cause, another way of saying, take my case, argue my case, and rescue me. Revive me by your word. Are you burdened? Throw your burden on the Lord and he'll sustain you. Psalm 55, 22. Are you anxious? Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Another question Did you ever want someone with total? Irrefutable and irresistible authority. One who cannot be resisted, bribed, bought, deceived, or talked back to. Do you ever want someone like that to come and tell off all the hypocrites of our time right in front of the whole world and set things right? Well, one is going to do so. As Jude one fourteen says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these people, saying, Look, the Lord comes with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all the works of impiety that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the cruel things that ungodly sinners have said against him. The Lord is going to tell off all the unrepentant hypocrites in history in front of the whole world. Now, why am I asking these questions in front of this message? Because I'm trying to clear the decks from your heart so you can receive the word of God there with a good and honest heart and therefore bear fruit, much fruit, to the glory of God the Father. It says he will judge all. Later on in Hebrews 12, we are introduced to God as the judge of all. We must all appear before the judgment seat of God, says 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.10-12. to 12. And so... Once we have entrusted ourselves and the injustices that we perceive in our times, and there are many, including injustices against us personally, once we've committed them and entrusted them to the one who judges justly, once we've cast our burden on the Lord, once we have assured ourselves that he will make all things right, then let's seek his kingdom and his righteousness and let's let him revive us by his word. And Father, we ask that you'll do this now through this message. Revive us by your word and grant us a tendency toward obedience. Grant us the mind of Christ Grind us, grant us the mind of Jesus Christ. Grant us his mindset by letting our minds stay set on him. We ask it in his name. Amen. These are times that try men's souls. You've probably heard of that quoted. I've heard it quoted lately. These are the times that try men's souls... That was Thomas Paine in his pamphlet that he wrote in 1775 and 76 at the time of the American Revolution. It was a high motivator for that revolution. After he said, these are the times that try men's souls, he went on to say, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. Two words, I like those descriptive terms summer soldiers and sunshine patriots. These are like Christians who aren't really serious about the Word of God, and if they ever displayed it, seriousness toward the Word, they fall off eventually. They start strong, they don't finish strong. They're summer soldiers and sunshine patriots. God too has an army. And in that army, he allows no summertime soldiers and sunshine patriots. Our citizenship is in heaven, says Philippians 3.20. And we are citizen soldiers in a heavenly colony on earth. Colonial citizen soldiers, according to Philippians 1.27. God calls us to a forward march for the advancement of the gospel. Philippians 1:27. I'm not speaking only to Christians in America. It may sound like that, but recently Jeremy showed me that over 50 countries have sometime or another hit on our website. So I don't want to be too provincial here, but I'm not speaking only to Christians in America when I speak these messages because injustices are being perpetrated across the world. But to whoever, I should say to whomever, and wherever you are, if you believe in Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God, you need his word, as I do. And you need it regularly, as I do. If you have not believed in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world, God will convince you of who his Son is. You don't need me to do it. How's that for an evangelist? Different take. (laughs) Though these are times of great injustice perpetrated by God-hating people in power, we can only entrust these injustices and those who perpetrate them to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, as the Song of Songs of Solomon, he wrote a thousand songs. We have one in the Bible that he wrote called the Song of Songs of Solomon. As that document put it, we ought to tend to our own vineyard. It's kind of a polite way of saying, mind your own business. It's kind of a polite way of saying it, but it means more than that. It means to tend to our own vineyard, lest it be unfruitful, rather than tending other people's vineyards. The lover woman of the shepherd in Song of Solomon complained. She said, they made me tend to their vineyards to other vineyards while my own vineyard i have not kept song of solomon 16 there's also a reference there's an inclusio of this whole idea of the vineyard in song of solomon because she mentions the same thing in 8:12 today's analogy is that our own vineyard is our own heart In the next couple of messages, I intend to deal, maybe more than two, to deal with matters of both the heart and the conscience, which the Bible locates in the heart. Especially in Hebrews, we find that the conscience is really on the topmost level of the heart, the spiritual innermost being of the believer and of human beings in general. Hebrews, as a matter of fact, deals extensively with the heart and the conscience. By the time you're done with Hebrews, you should be a heart specialist. If this vineyard is not tended to, there will be no effective service of the living God and will be, with the noisy fake joy of phony Christians, in phony meetings, and the petty moralism of the fundamentalist rather than the life and livingness of enjoying our heavenly citizenship. I say heavenly citizenship because as the PT says, you have come, you have come with the result that you are coming approaching the heavenly new Jerusalem in Hebrews 12:22 to 24 in that city there is true and lasting liberty and life and listen carefully to this phrase and a happiness that does not need to be pursued Now it's time to operate on the heart. And I'm sorry, I'm going to do this without sedation, without anesthesia. Heart is the Greek word cardia, K A R D I A. Cardia. The word is found 12 times in Hebrews. And yes, I'm going to show you the significance of the number 12. The number 12, according to E.W. Bullinger in his Companion Bible, Appendix 10, page 14, he says this, 12 denotes governmental perfection. It is the number or factor of all numbers connected with government, whether by tribes or by apostles. Or in measurements of time, or in things which have to do with government in the heavens, and the earth. That's E. W. Bullinger. Heart, cardia, is in the plural form seven times in the Epistle to the Hebrews. It's found in Hebrews three eight, three ten. We've just been there. Three fifteen, four seven. Eight ten ten sixteen and ten twenty two heart in the singular is found five times in three twelve, which is our text today four twelve ten twenty two twelve three thirteen nine conscience, another word this time. Sunidasis or Sunidasis S U N long E Conscience Sunidasis D E S I S make that E I S U N E I D E S I S E I and long E sometimes sound exactly alike, but it's S U N E I D E S I S. Sunadesis. Conscience. Conscience appears five times in Hebrews. Hebrews 9.14, 9, 9, in a phenomenally important verse. Hebrews 9.14. 10.2, 10.22. 10.22 reminds me of my favorite 22 rifle, the Ruger 10.22. It's a brilliant gun. 10.22 and 13.18. Always in the singular is conscience. Now the number five denotes divine grace so we have the number 12 denoting divine government we have number 5 denoting divine grace so the heart mentioned 12 times and the conscience mentioned 5 times signifies at least to me it signifies the innermost being and the highest level of human consciousness being governed by divine grace let me say that again Because this is really one of those things that summarizes Hebrews in toto. The number 12 references to heart, and the conscience with its five references, signifies the innermost being and the highest level of human consciousness being governed by divine grace. And that's not foreign to Hebrews, because in 13.9 it talks about the heart being strengthened by grace. Once the heart is governed and strengthened by grace, Hebrews thirteen nine compared with two Timothy two one, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Once the heart is governed and strengthened by grace, and the conscience is purified by the blood of Christ, conscience being the uppermost level of the heart, as we're going to see in Hebrews nine fourteen. Once that happens, the love the love of God that's poured out into the heart by the Holy Spirit in Romans 5.5 5, is free to emanate or pour forth or literally have an exodus out from the heart. Now, one of the most phenomenal verses in all the scriptures is First 1 Timothy 1, 1.5. In which Paul says, the goal of instruction is love from a purified heart. A good conscience and genuine faith. What a trio. And in fact, this is indeed the goal of the pastor-teacher and the goal really of any pastor-teacher. But it's the goal of the pastor teacher in the writing of Hebrews that his hearers or readers would reach the goal and be complete in love, in its expression, manifestation. Love that can only be produced, listen carefully, love that can only be produced through a purified heart and a clear or a good conscience. There's no such thing as a true lover with an unclear conscience. A fervent and genuine brotherly, sisterly love called Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Philadelphia in the Greek, found in Hebrews 13.1, as well as 1 Peter one twenty two. Put those verses together. In the Greek, reading the Bible is a different world when you read it in the Greek than when you read it in the English. It's two different worlds. Reading it in the Greek is like reading it in the ultimate HD, high definition, high fidelity also, to hear it. A fervent and genuine brotherly-sisterly love called Philadelphia only proceeds and only continues, Hebrews 13, 1, from a purified heart, katharos, kardias, as we find it in 1 Peter 1, 22. Katharos, purified, catheterized, heart. The involvement of the word, capital W, is essential in this whole process for the word of god sanctifies by an internal cleansing. John 15:3 Now you are clean, Jesus said, through the word that I have spoken to you. Ephesians 5:26 calls talks about the sanctification by the washing of the water of the word. The word internally cleanses by critiquing the mentality and the intentionality of the heart. In Hebrews 4.12, and that critiquing of the mentality and intentionality of the heart leads to beneficial transformative conversions. People say, such and such changed my life. I saw a commercial lately where a lady said, such and such a sleep aid changed my life. And I'm, my life has been changed by this pillow or this vitamin or these vegetables. It changed my life, people say. Now that may be if something changes your life, it could be to the better. Or the worse, we're talking here about beneficial transformative conversions, the changing of the life to the much, much better, through the word, through the cleansing of the word. John makes it clear in his first epistle that, quote, the love of God is authentically perfected in those who keep his word. Why? Because love can only come to completion in those who keep the Word because the Word purifies the heart out from which are the exoduses, or exodoi as the Greek says it, literally exodus, plural, exoduses of love. The most important thing we do in this life is exposure to the Word, receptivity to the Word, letting the Word of Christ reside in our hearts plentifully copiously, Colossians 3.16. So I want to deal first with the theme of the heart and then with the conscience. I don't know how far we'll get in this message, increment 81. Today, and this is the year of today, we'll take up the theme of the heart and especially the evil heart of unbelief. Evil heart meaning a heart Evilly affected, harmfully affected, and infectiously affected by unbelief. The theme of the heart has already been introduced by the Holy Spirit in Hebrews. We spent a lot of time there. Some people think too much time. He urges us not to harden our hearts. Our what? Our hearts. Who does? The Holy Spirit. The theme of the heart has been introduced by the Holy Spirit in Hebrews. Is it an important theme? I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit. He urges us not to harden our hearts and speaks of the majority of a generation who were always, hmm. Led astray in their hearts. Or led astray in heart. Hebrews 3.7 Therefore, as the Holy Spirit is saying today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As in the embitterment that led to revolt during the day of testing in the desert where your ancestors Literally, your fathers tested me, put me to the proof, even as they were seeing my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked by this generation and said, they're always led astray in heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, if they enter into my rest, which is a Hebrew idiom for they will not enter my rest. Now, one thing that's problematic in any given era of human history is that the people of God may tend, and it begins as a subtle tendency, and then it goes into a vehement habit, to reject, or more subtly, at first, to stand aloof. The Brits say, sit loose, too. To sit loose to something is to stand aloof to it, to be indifferent to it. To stand aloof, whereas the Brits say, to sit loose, or to regard with indifference God and his promises. Imagine that. To do so is to sit loose to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the yes of all the promises of God, or the affirmation, the affirmative to all the promises of God, so that we can rightly say, Amen. To them through him to the glory of God the Father 2nd Corinthians one twenty. slap that one on your fridge with a heart shaped post-it note made in China Hebrews chapter 3 is your heart in China by the way I'm asking shall I ask If you genuflect to China, it must be that your heart is there. When have I genuflected to China, you say? When you have become a sunshine patriot and despised your flag. Well, I don't want to get political. May the Lord forbid. Here's Hebrews 3.12. That's the verse of our text at the heart of our text today, the heart of our message. Watch out brothers and sisters, bleppo is the word. It's a powerful word, bleppo. Paul finds it, you find it three times when he says bleppo, bleppo, bleppo. Watch out in Philippians 3. Watch out for the dogs. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the concision, the mutilators. Beware of the evil workers. He's talking about missionaries who require people, males, to receive circumcision in order to be justified. Watch out for them. Here, the writer says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any one of you, he's concerned for every one of them, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief that withdraws from the living God, retreats from the living God, draws back. Blepo, B L E P Long O, for watch out. It's followed by the negative May, M E, long E, with the future indicative. This kind of warning is found in Colossians 2.8, as well as Hebrews 3.12. Mark 13.23 and 33 means watch, beware, take care that you don't withdraw from the living God with an evil heart of unbelief. Now, instead of taking a commentary, I'm writing a commentary. And this, therefore, in this commentary... We can compare this to Proverbs 4.23, where the scripture says, Be vigilant to guard your heart, for out from it are the, and here's the Septuagint translation, the beauty of reading the Old Testament in the Greek text. The word is E. X, O, D, O. -O 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 I, exodoi, you say what was the the plural of Exodus? Exoduses, or Exodi or exodoi? It'd be exodoi in the Greek, exodoi. Out from the heart there are exoduses. What's in the heart comes out. Jesus said all food is acceptable. He made that very clear because people were saying that certain foods that you eat defile you. Jesus said nothing that you put in to your body defiles you. And by that Mark said he said all food is acceptable. And so a lesson for the vegan. Now you can be a vegan if you want or a vegetarian or you can eliminate whole food groups from your life because you think somehow it's going to do something for you. But all food is acceptable, but that's not the point today. The point is, it's what comes out from the innermost heart comes out and defiles a person. Or, as we've seen, we can also have the exodoy from the heart be love the fruit of the spirit acts of love so i love proverbs 430 or 423 rather the scripture says be vigilant to guard your heart for out from it are the exodoi of life jesus taught in mark 721 and 22 and i've translated this as recently as this morning for from within the heart, ectes cardiás, from the heart, for within, it says literally in the Greek, within, from the heart, out from the heart of people come harmful rationalizations, acts of unlawful sexual intercourse, thefts, murders, occasions of adultery, greed, Maliciousness, slander, arrogance, lack of sense. All these things go out from within and defile a person. Out from the heart there will be exodoi. If we leave it unguarded, these will be the exodoi Listed in Mark 7, 21 to 22. If we guard our hearts, and that means to receive the word, the good word of God, with a good and honest heart, and tend our vineyard, then out from the heart will come exodoi of love, acts motivated by selfless love, serving one another by love, Galatians 5.13. Now, an alternative or stronger translation of Hebrews 3.12, and I want to give you this one too because it's stronger because I think it shows where aloofness and indifference eventually goes. It says, Be on guard, siblings, lest there be in any one of you an infectiously evil heart of unbelief to reject the living God. The word is aphistemi. For the living God. Aphisteme. Which later on theology made it a formal term called apostasy. Withdrawal from the living God leads to the rejection of him. And the sense of reject is reflected in Numbers chapter 14 verse 31. Now if you follow this, this is actually going somewhere this teaching today into a specific warning. A warning that can be specifically for each and every one of us and so that any one of us should beware of this. But it's also for my country, the United States of America. But it's also for many countries of the world and for all of us, of course. Numbers 14.31 says, God speaking, And I will lead your children, whom you said would become spoils, That is, for the giants in the land. The excuse not to go into the land, there are giants in the land, and they will destroy our children. It's always the children. It's the children. We're afraid that something will happen to the children. So God says, I will lead your children, whom you said would become spoils for the giants in the land, meaning, I'll lead them into the land, and they will inherit the land that you rejected. And that's the aristactive indicative of aphistemi again. Same word used, Hebrews 3.12. So it means rejected. It's like neglecting our so great salvation. Neglecting a land that God says go and take it. Yeah, but there's principalities and powers standing in the way, barring my way in. Well, you don't think the Lord can handle them? Put up the shield of faith, grab your sword, the sword of the Spirit, Put on the belt of truth, and put on your combat boots with their traction, which is the preparation of the gospel of peace. Put on your head, this helmet of salvation, and on your, as a breastplate, the righteousness, which is God's saving action in your life, and get moving. Or would you rather be a sunshine patriot and a summer soldier? Aphistami has the sense of to revolt against in that one has been led to revolt. What leads to revolt and to rejection of God is a heart that is evilly and infectiously affected by unbelief, which includes a kind of lack of trust in him. Hebrews doesn't refer to any specific opponent or opponents like Romans and Galatians do. There, Paul's dealing head-on with with some serious opponents. Hebrews doesn't do that. However, in the desert generation, there were those who incited revolt against God and against his servant Moses. Korah was one of them, K-O-R-A-H. And he recruited a man named Dathan, D-A-T-H-N-A-N. I think Edward G. Robinson played him in the movie Ten Commandments. But Dathan, and he followed Korah in a conspiracy and, quote, with his accomplices, was swallowed up by an earthquake. Great result of revolt against God. Numbers 16.1, Deuteronomy 11.56, Psalm 106.17. Dathan, it says, perished. In the rebellion incited by Korah, and that's found in Jude 1.11, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, there's a trio for you, they were accomplices in a rebellion against God, and they perished. You see, they led astray many others. Their evil was infectious. Their evil was unbelief that God would give them the land and take the giants down on the way in. So they wanted to retreat and withdraw from Moses and his leadership and from God and the rock that was struck for water to come out of the rock, which is Christ, and go back to Egypt and back to slavery. And so they led many astray, but they perished. Again, there's no specific mention of such men as these in Hebrews, but the implication is there in the warning of the evil heart of unbelief that rebels against God and his promises. Now, the very word for evil here is ponera, and that's P-O-N-E-R-A. This is a very important word in the scriptures, P-O-N-E-R-A, P-O-N-E-R-A, ponera. It suggests a perniciousness, a causing of harm, an infectiousness, if you want to use the term from epidemiology or the study of epidemics. Joseph Thayer, the great lexicographer, defines such a heart as, quote, an evil heart such as is revealed in distrusting. Now, it's right to distrust the flesh and humanity. And Ronald Reagan was right to say, trust but verify when you're given reports by people. But when it comes to distrusting the living God, then there's an evil that we have to avoid. Rather than identifying and warning about specific leaders in apostasy, the PT in Hebrews urges that his audience, on the other hand, quote Remember those who spoke the word of God to you Hebrews 13:7 And to imitate their faith as opposed to imitating the unbelief of apostates in Hebrews 13:7 imitate their faith What is it about the one that preached the word of God to you that you would imitate His mannerisms, his life or his lifestyle, or his faith. If he has no faith, there's nothing to imitate. If he shows faith, imitate his faith. I would imitate the faith of Paul the Apostle any day of the week. I would imitate the faith of Timothy any time. And Paul even says, do it. Imitate us. Be imitators of us in 317 of Philippians. And rather than imitating the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction like Dathan, Abiram, and Korah. I almost forgot Korah's name because it's good to forget the names of apostates. It's like somebody shoots up a school and they want to be famous. Well, forget their names. I'm sorry, I forgot your name. You, do you have a name? Should be in the ground anyways. But anyway, anyways, Hebrews 13, 17 also says, divinely appointed men like Moses and Aaron, those who keep watch over your souls, have to give an account. Now we all must give an account to God someday at the judgment seat of Christ and sometimes before that, and sometimes in this life. In fact, a lot in this life. But those who speak the word of God have a special comeuppance when they appear before the Lord. They have to give an account. For of such is the greater judgment, says James 3.1, Hebrews 13.17. So we always, I'm always keeping that in mind. So the word for withdraws is aposteni. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of alliteration here. Now, again, in the Greek, you read all these popping peas again. I call it pies in the face. Well, here it is again. Hebrews started with it. And this whole section, starting in verse 12 through 19, or really 12 through 411, begins again with some popping pies. Pies in the face. The Greek has this word aposteni, in close proximity with the word apistia. You'll see all this in print. I'm not going to write it all up here. Apistias. Apistias is the opposite of pistis, faith and faithfulness. So it's unbelief, unfaithfulness. Now the Greek places apistias in close proximity with aposteni, and together with blepo, aposteni, apostia. Blepo. It pops like that. It's supposed to. When he's speaking, when the homilist speaks, he does that on purpose. Blepo, to watch out. Then there's Mepote. M E P O T E. Lest. Not Mapo. Mapote. I want my Mapote. Mapote, which means lest. Then there's Ponera, which means evil. Then there's Apo, which means away from. So the PT has another pi alliteration here, which even has a dramatic sound effect in order to grab the hearer's attention or the readers of the Greek text. If you read it in the Greek, you see this, you get treated to all this. It's so much fun for that matter. So the words apostene, apostias, apo, especially those three words with an a, p. -P 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 sound, apostene, apostasy, apostia, unbelief, apo, away from, away from, withdrawing from. They're a trio of words that trigger a response. Withdrawing or departing are words that have taken on a formal flavor in theology where the verb is translated as apostasize and the noun is apostasy the preposition apo apo whether appearing alone or in a prefix of complex words like apostanai indicates a direction away from and it's pictorial that's why i like at robertson's word pictures in the greek new testament they are present a pictorial for withdrawing from the living God to withdraw from the living God I do every word here because every word is pure in Proverbs 30 and verse 5 to withdraw from the living God implies an attraction to gods that are dead and lifeless to idols You want to read about idols? The best passage in the whole of the scriptures is Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8. That's the Septuagint. Don't be confused. The Septuagint is 113, 11 to 16. But it's in your Bible. You'll find it in Psalm 115, 3 through 8. Now, speaking of noise and some Christian services... Jeremiah 323 says the hills and the strength of the mountains and that means it denotes the noisy commotion of idol worship in the high places or the hill country or the mountains apostate Israelites who had departed from the living god had loud noisy worship of idolatry sometimes involving orgies it was loud and clamorous And if you were at the bottom of the valley of the hills, like where I used to live in Vermont, in a valley, and you listened to all that clamor in the hills, you'd think people were having a good time. But Jeremiah said the hills and the strength of the mountains, or the noisy commotion of idol worship, were a lie. L-I-E. A lie. But through the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So many people that withdraw from the living God and being quiet and still in his presence to know that he's God go for the noisy, the clamorous, and the pseudo-joy... And you feel bad if you were like me and others that I've talked to. You go to these services where people seem to be running around and doing literally laps around the church in one of the churches. And they're knocking each other over. And that's phony. And they're speaking in other tongues. and And you feel like you're left out. You're there. You believed in Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. And yet you feel like you're left out. Thank God you feel left out. It's a lie! Now, A.T. Robertson observes that through the though the word cardia for heart, you think it's an important word? It appears a thousand times in the Septuagint. One thousand times in the Septuagint. But he observes that only twice does the word evil heart appear. The combination of heart with evil. Twice, evil heart. So I want to know where those are so that I can make a connection between where those verses are, 2 out of a 1,000 in the Old Testament, to Hebrews three twelve, which talks about a heart that's evil, an evil heart, evilly affected, infectiously affected. So I found out, and A.T. Robertson helped in his word pictures in the Greek New Testament, Jeremiah 16, 12 and 1812. Both of them are in Jeremiah. There's kind of a leaning toward Jeremiah here, and it goes all the way into Hebrews chapter 8, where we talk about, he talks about a new covenant in 8 6 to 13, and then again in 1015 to 17, and then again in 1224, then again in 1320. The new covenant, the everlasting covenant. So I looked them up the essential movement of exhortation in Hebrews is draw near to the living God rather than withdrawing from him. That's again, the whole movement of Hebrews is a warning against withdrawing and an exhortation to draw near instead. We draw near, says the scripture, with a true heart, alithenos, alithenos, Alēthēnes is a better way of saying it in the Greek, A L long e T H I N long e S. Again, you'll see this in print. Alēthēnes means authentic or real or affected by truth. And the scripture says that we draw near rather than withdraw. We draw near to the living God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. When faith is fully assured, that's the word pistis, and then full assurance of faith, Hebrews 10.23. So if you think we're spending too much time in Hebrews 3, you have to understand that Hebrews 3 projects out as far as 10.23. We're dealing with stuff that goes all through the epistle, so we're not really bogged down. So we draw near with a true heart, ale kardias. cardias, rather than an evil heart, poneros cardias, in Hebrews 3.12. As in John's gospel, the contrast is held throughout, between believing and not believing, between faith and unbelief. So by a true heart in faith, a true heart in faith, we draw near to the living God and experience the life of the messianic age right now the life of the heaven above, the new Jerusalem above. On the other hand, with an evil heart of unbelief, we pull away and draw back and do not experience that life. And that's a polite way of saying we are destroyed. For as the Lord says in Habakkuk 2.4, quoted in reverse and with a slight emendation, in Hebrews 10.38, we've seen Habakkuk 2.4, the key verse of Romans in Romans 1.17. It's also found in Hebrews 10.38, where I have what I call Hab and Heb. Hab is Habakkuk, Heb, Hebrews. In Habakkuk 2.4, it says, If he withdraws, withdraws, or draws back, my soul, says God, is not pleased with him. But the righteous one will live by my faith. Now that is slightly amended. In fact, both clauses are reversed in the Hebrews reference. Hebrews 10.38, heb after hab, says this way. Now my righteous one will live from faith. And if he draws back or withdraws, my soul has no pleasure in him. Right there, both movements are important. To live by faith is to draw near to God. To withdraw from him is to apostatize from him. My soul has no pleasure in him, says Habakkuk two four, versus what we're going to see in, he, in Jeremiah 16.12 as I close. Each of us will do what pleases his evil heart. That's what the people said to God. Each of us will do what pleases his own heart. If you're an American... You understand this thing called life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Got no problem with life, got no problem with liberty, but watch out that your pursuit of happiness is not a frantic search for things that make you happy, apart from faithfulness and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are several things about Jeremiah 16.12 that I want to close with. I have much more to speak on today, so I have to be selective. The biggest discipline I have in preaching messages is what to cut out, what to reduce, what to leave for the next time. Jeremiah 16.12 is a verse of reply of the people of God to Yahweh. Jeremiah basically said to his generation, to the men of his generation, man up. Act like men. That's very hard to say today because of the 125,000 genders we have. But act like men. Paul said it again in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Act like men. It means have some courage. Get some guts. Man up. Cowboy the blank up, as one movie star recently said. And so they replied mockingly and said, we'll man up all right. We'll do whatever the hell we want to do in the desires of our own heart. That's what we'll do. That was their pursuit of happiness. So where the word evil heart is found in Jeremiah sixteen twelve, is remarkable for several reasons. First, that verse is in a prophecy of the then upcoming conquest of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And this is noteworthy, given that Hebrews may well have been published just before the destruction of Jerusalem, its final destruction, in 70 A.D. Second thing about Jeremiah 16.12, which you can read on your own. This verse appears in the context of Yahweh's command to Jeremiah that he is to remain unmarried in this place. You will not marry in this place, he said in Jeremiah 16.12. And this is in connection with the words, or rather Jeremiah 16, 1 in the same chapter. And this in turn is in connection with the words of the Lord of the armies that he is about to banish, God is about to banish in this place laughing voices and the voice of joy. Now stupid governors and irresponsible, hypocritical mayors are banishing the voice of laughter in their cities. But in this case, God is banishing the sound of laughter in Jerusalem because it's a way of saying he's about to bring judgment down on it. So, he says, I am about to banish in this place laughing voices and the voice of joy, specifically, he says, of the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. That's Jeremiah 16.9 and Jeremiah 25.10. And that echoes and reverberates all the way up into Revelation 18.23 in the apocalyptic depiction of the destruction of apostate Jerusalem in A.D. 70 where the voice of the bridegroom is no longer heard and the voice of the bride is no longer heard. In other words, happiness is no longer found in the old Jerusalem. Third thing about Jeremiah 16.12. The indictment of Yahweh through Jeremiah is that his hearers have done worse than your fathers, he said. Remember that, your fathers, your ancestors? He said, you have done worse than your fathers. Chiming with Hebrews 3.9 and Septuagint of Psalm 94.9, as well as Hebrews 1, one, their fathers being the Exodus generation, the majority. You've done worse. God's voice which spoke in the prophets to the fathers was habitually rejected by Israel, and especially within Jerusalem Matthew twenty three, thirty seven to thirty eight, Luke eleven, forty nine to fifty one, prophet after prophet abused and rejected and finally killed and crucified. Worse by far is the action of those who sat loose to or then openly defied the living God who spoke with finality in these last days in a son. We can't help but see a focus toward Jerusalem in this warning and to see the new and heavenly Jerusalem in a focus at the end of Hebrews, Hebrews twelve twenty-two as it is in Galatians 4.26, as it is also at the end of Revelation in 3.12, twenty one two and 21.10. This anticipates a series, which may be my last series that I ever teach, called Uranopolis, Heavenly City. And it says that we have come to it, that we have present residence in it that it's presently existing, that it's the mother of us all who is free, as Paul says it in Galatians 4.26. So that's anticipation. The fourth thing and the final thing I want to deal with with Hebrews, or rather Jeremiah 18.12, is that descriptive of the offense of those who did worse than their ancestors is that Here, in Yahweh's own words, he says, Every one of you is pursuing after things that please your evil heart, so as not to obey me. Now, the terrible result of that is that the generation to which Jeremiah prophesied, and listen carefully, because I will prophesy, which means speak forth the word of God. I'm not claiming to be a predictive prophet here, but I do have a voice of warning for our country, and for our time, and for nations across the world. The terrible result is that the generation to which Jeremiah prophesied, quote, were hurled from their land into a foreign land where they were slaves to other gods who show no mercy. What's the opposite of the living God who shows mercy to all? Merciless gods who show mercy to none. Few people realize right now that we are under siege as a nation. We are under siege as a nation. We are under siege In case you misunderstood that I said we are under siege just like Jerusalem is under siege so many times in their history I speak as an American Christian but it's also true for many other nations so it is time now today like never before to draw near to the living god with true hearts hearts purified by faith acts 15:11 and consciences purified by the blood of christ in hebrews 9:14 Now, Jeremiah 18.12 is equally revelatory of the evil heart because Jeremiah prophesied there that to God's appeal that every man comes back now from his evil way and to let their ways and doings be changed for the better. They said this to God. It's hopeless. We'll continue to follow our perverse ways. And each of us will perform the lusts of his own heart. The Septuagint translation, again, of Jeremiah 1812 is this, and they said, we'll act like men, all right, sarcastic, because we will go after our own aversions, and each of us will do what pleases his evil heart. taste cardias autu, taste poneras, our own evil heart. This is again anticipating a series that would probably be my last someday if the Lord wills that is if I make it to that point in which the primary commandment will be and we have suggested this also in revelation Jeremiah 51:50 50, let Jerusalem come into your minds and by Jerusalem I don't mean the old one I mean the new one let Jerusalem come into your minds for us, here's a preview of, of a possible if the Lord lets me live. A possible, and I say Lord willing because it would be arrogant to say I'm going to do this, but the possibility of a series called Uranopolis. And for us, this is to let the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, come into our minds. Uranopolis. is... Is not a literal city on this earth right now but it's something that comes into our minds as our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit and transformed through the sword of the word to let this Jerusalem come into our minds is to allow the governance of God's sovereign grace into our hearts Oranopolis is our citizenship in heaven while we still live on earth. Oranopolis is a mindset. It's a mindset of Messiah called having the mind of Christ. It's a mindset that we only have with our mind set on Him who keeps us in perfect peace in Isaiah 26 3. It is a livingness that is Christ himself. And here's something that will be coming up. It is the joining of theonomy and autonomy. It's when the law of God becomes the desire of our own hearts. The combination or the joining of theonomy, nomas plus autonomos, theonomy, and autonomy, that's when we really want more than anything to do what God really wants us to do. And that's the desire of our hearts. That's Orinopolis. That's letting Jerusalem into our minds. That's a mindset that will let us walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Amen.